Welcome to another episode of the Project Road Podcasts. As always, I'm here with my friend and business partner and co-host, Brian. How are you doing, mate? Not so bad, brother. Not so bad. How are you? Yeah, good. Having a bit of a heat wave in the UK, so we're competing with temperatures close to Guatemala, I think, at the moment. That's awesome. I've, I've seen some posts. What uh, You guys are in the 30s, right, in the UK right now? I think we're just breaching the 30s, yeah. I'm... We monitored temperature quite closely in my house having a little one. And I think last night we went to bed and it was still 29 degrees, which proved Ooh. interesting. But Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But um, you, I, mean, I know we've spoken about this before, but you're using a, a chili pad, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, did you use it last night or are you using it during this heat wave? Is it working? Um, I'm using it intermittently throughout the heat wave. If you've got a fan on, fan on in the room, I generally use it as well. Um, but basically, it doesn't really solve my six-month-old uh, in her crib. So they yeah. haven't released crib versions yet. So we'll maybe good. we'll you know put, give them a nudge on that. Yeah, maybe we should do a collaboration. We can take some royalties. There we so. go. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, well, um, today we've got a, a special guest coming on, and I'm really happy to have an old friend of mine on the show today, Robin Sarden Taylor. Hi, Robin. How are you doing, mate? Good. Thanks for having me, James. Brian, it's, uh, yeah, it's great to uh, be on your podcast. Um, like I said, James, it's, uh, obviously go way back. Um, good few years now and it's, uh, it's been certainly, I think we've, you know, we obviously reconnected during the lockdown period and, uh, you know, it's great to see uh, how you guys are, uh, are developing as a business and, uh, you know, certainly uh, looking forward to the conversation today. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll give you a, a bit of our listeners a bit of background about you know your your pedigree and your history as well but robin's had a, an amazing rugby career i think you've represented wales at every age group you've got eight full wales caps and you played in the wales grand slam winning team of 2005 you've played multiple times for the Wales seven squad including the 2006 commonwealth games and then you've also played your club rugby for cardiff blues representing them over 122 times i believe and you captained them for the 2005 season um, and your performance, you know, your passion for high performance in sport has now led you to strength and conditioning, and you ply your trade as the strength and conditioning coach for the Cardiff Blues, obviously where you where you played your rugby, and you also are the owner of Ion Fitness in Cardiff, and more recently you've rolled out your health and wellness program focused on employees for the workforce as well. Um, and finally, I guess, as you've touched on, slightly less interesting fact, I guess, but we went to school together and I was lucky enough to, to play rugby with you at a number of age groups as well. But Robin, again, thanks again for making the time to come on and we're looking forward to hearing some, some interesting wisdom and experiences you've had over the years. Oh, thanks. That's a, that's a very uh, nice introduction. I uh, appreciate that a lot. Uh, yeah, like I said, it's, um, you know, going back to the old school days, James, you're obviously a year older than myself and, uh, you know, I, we always it was it was great playing together but also later on then of you know as we got older playing uh, age grade rugby together for for Wales um was something that you know it's certainly a time to look for, back fondly at and you know that I'm sure you feel the same that 18 19 um years uh, years of age playing in the the, the FIRA World Cup then it was wasn't it out in uh, in France um, yeah, certainly something I look back on from my uh, playing days as a, as a real highlight. It was a you know a great bunch of boys, you know, playing um, you know probably well it was the first world on the world stage at age group um, level mm. together. It was an exciting time. So yeah, like I said, it's it's, it's it's good that we can share those memories. 
Yeah, definitely. I think that was that was probably one of the highlights of my rugby career. Anyway, being in that World Cup and mm-hmm. that high performance team, and I think overall we came fourth in the world, which yeah. for a small nation, again, that was you know an incredible result for us. Yeah. Um, and again, obviously, a lot of players from that squad went on to big things. Obviously, yourself included in that. And I guess you know, there's so many things we could talk about. But being you know being a passionate Welshman myself, you know, I'd love to hear more about the 2005 season mm-hmm. in the Welsh squad. Mm-hmm. I think that was the first Grand Slam Wales won in my lifetime. I think the first, you know, the time before that was 1978. Um, so yeah. could you just go into a bit more detail about, you know, what, what really sparked that squad's, you know, vibe? And again, what made it such a high performing team compared to, you know, different to other squads? Yeah, I mean, that I, I certainly look back at those days now with uh, such fond memories. You know, for me, it was the campaign that actually won my first uh, cap in, um, you know, when mm. I was, I must have been probably around 20, 22, 23 uh, years old at the time. And um, I'd actually, off the back of the under-19s World Cup, um, I had my first involvement in Wales. We went on a, uh, on the senior, went on the senior um, um, summer tour to Japan um, when I was 18 years old. Um, and so it was quite a few years after um, actually being in that initial um initial squad with Wales before I actually won my first um, cap and that campaign was actually a late call up to the squad because um, there was an injury I think it was Charvis in the first game against England uh, went down with an injury um, and then I got pulled into the squad um, so you know to come in late uh, later into the uh, the setup was um, you know, obviously at the time, it was such an exciting experience. Wales had just beaten England at home for the first time. If you remember, James, um, you know, Gavin Henson kicking the, uh, the, the, the winning kick uh, that really oh, sparked, gosh, yeah. sparked the energy during that 2005 campaign. And, you know, as you touched on, um, you know, the environment there, there was something really unique about that squad at the time. Um, you know, some great coaches involved in that era, Scott Johnson, um, the Aussie, uh, it was... Um, uh, Mike Ruddock was the coach at the time, um, and it was just a real togetherness amongst uh, amongst the players during that time. And uh, it was just, it was a group of players that had, uh, had been together for quite some time, and also continued on being together for another few years after. And mm. you know, I was fortunate also to be involved in the two thousand and eight Grand Sam Sam winning campaign as well. So to to experience those two um, those two uh, campaigns was uh, was incredible. I mean, the two thousand and five one, you know, there was a real uniqueness about. It, certainly the final game against Ireland at home um, it was a boiling hot day mm. in Cardiff the streets were absolutely jam-packed people watching it um, in the city centre outside uh, outside the stadium as well and uh, you know it's like I said it's, it's, it's fond, fond fond memories during that era it was uh, a great time yes Mm. You mentioned the togetherness of the squad, and that's something that is really important in team, you know, to any team sport. Is that the squad really bonds together and formulates that that you know ethos and that work and cover each other's backs. And you know, what what was the squad doing differently, maybe to create that kind of togetherness that maybe hadn't been present before? Um, you know, I think the Welsh squad we started going to the Poland for training camps, mm. and again, I've seen like ice chambers and you know that kind of stuff. You know, the training aspect was mm. a lot more intense and the recovery as well, but you know what else was done to, to make that that team bond you know certainly as you said there the, uh, the 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 training camps to poland they actually came a little bit after that period of time but mm. um you know something that really you know probably as i've got older and certainly transitioned into that coaching role something that i've really 
you know, paid more attention on, really enjoy learning about is, you know, it's the buzzword often, and that's the culture, um, you know, and what what is actual culture? And I think, you know, what we spoke about there, the, the togetherness of the squad, you know, for me, you know, a culture is is the relationships, the communication amongst amongst the squad and coaches during that period. It was special, you know, there, the, you know, you were friends, friends off the pitch as well as on, um, you know, obviously international rugby are coming from different club backgrounds, you know, often when you're actually rivals, but, you know, during that period of time, it was, it was build, they, they were building blocks, you know, that it wasn't just a sudden um, out of the nowhere, uh, out of nowhere performance um, going into that King campaign. Wales had steadily been building, you know, over the past couple of seasons, you know, and I think at that time, you know, the whole um, the coaching squad, had, uh, the coaching team had a real focus on um, rather than selecting all the time on, you know, performance at the time, who was playing the best, more so probably having consistency within the squad, you know, from campaign to, you know, from the Six mm. Nations to the Autumn Internationals to the Summer Tours and, you know, really building that cultural side of things. And I think often, you know, certainly at the top level, you know, it's often selection can be always done on, you know, who's performing best at the time. And, you know, rightly, wrongly, you know, I think there's pros and cons to that. Um, certainly, you know, with that consistency aspect in terms of selection, it allowed something special to build there. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, during that period, it was, and it was, you know, off the, uh, off the, uh, off the back of, um, uh, Graeme Henry, Steve Hansen, you know, the predecessors to, um, um, to, to Mike Ruddock, you know, they certainly really brought a different feel to the, to, to the environment. As I said, I, you know, I'd been involved in the, uh, the, the, the international environment for a good few years prior to actually winning my first cap, you know, unfortunately being quite a, a back holder for, uh, for a few good few campaigns before. Um, but, you know, it certainly, you know, I can see that this, how the style of training had uh, differed. There was a, there was a real increase in intensity, you know, Wales had, this objective of being one of the fittest team or the fittest team you know in the world of the stage and I remember it was you know there were there were a couple of Kiwi um, SNC coaches that really stand out so Andrew Hoare um, there was also English guy Greg, Craig White and uh, Mark Bennett um, the, uh, the 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 Welsh uh, SNC coach and you know they're, they're, they were fantastic um, strength and conditioning coaches that really lay solid foundations from a physical performance perspective. And, you know, as you said, Wales is a small nation, um, you know, but I think what is naturally brought, you know, is brought about is that, that work ethic. And, you know, I think the work, the, the, the fact is the work ethic, the squad had at the time, you know, the, the consistency in selection really, you know, like I said, lay the foundations for uh, that 2005 um, Grand Slam winning yeah. campaign. Yeah. Robin, um, you, you touched on something that I would like to ask you. I've, I've kind of always wondered about it. And that is, what about like, you know, so for yourself as an example or, or any other players, when you get called into a squad, whether it's a club or, or, or a national team, what's, what, is the atmosphere like always super welcoming and happy and joyful? Or is there like, is there some egos? Is there like a, maybe the star players are like, oh, great, who's this kid from XYZ? Or is it just like instantly hugs, welcome, and, and we're a team kind of thing? That's uh, you know that's a, that's a great question, uh, Brian. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, from the moment you get the selection, sometimes you you're um, you know you find out 
a short period of time before it's released to the uh, to to the media. Sometimes it's you actually just find out in the media, and it's you know that wow. initial excitement and and buzz is incredible. Um, to then going into the environment, as I said, you know Wales is a small environment. You know you know you know the other players. You know you may have played age group rugby with them, even if they are from different clubs. So you know there's already a, a bond there. Uh, relationships have already been built. But you know I think you know when you go through the the international campaigns, you're you're together. You know more or less twenty four seven with players. Um, you know, for a fairly short period of time, and you know, you, you really do build you know those relationships. Um, the one, the probably the biggest difference that I saw from um, you know club level to international level is just that the the um, the the psychological intensity of it, just the the uh, having to be on the button. You know, you're, you're with the best of the best at that level, and mm-hmm. you know everyone's vying for a place. Um, it's competitive, you know, and you've got to be on the button, whether it's in meetings, on the training pitch, you know, and I always remember at the end of, you know, you are absolutely exhausted at the end of every training day. You literally were mentally and physically um, fatigued. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, there's a real intensity about international rugby and, uh, you know, that's not just on the field as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think if you look at that squad as well, obviously you were captain of your club. I think there were a number of strong individuals of a similar nature to yourself. And again, having the leaders as part of that team, just not one leader, but like multiple leaders across the whole spectrum of one to 15, that really helps drive the standards, drives the consistency. And again, it just, you know, really, really, makes creates that belief isn't yeah. it that self-belief that this is something yeah. big is going to happen and i think leadership that is something 100 percent that's uh you know important factor in uh, in success is you know leadership is you know not only how you know you communicate with others but you know the behaviors you you know you you, you have um on and off field um you know, and when everyone, you know, when you've got a group of players and you've got a group of leaders there, you know, it's not, you know, it's not about having too many, uh, you know, chiefs, you know, it's important that, you know, there's a, there's a responsibility on those individual shoulders for those, but also for those around them that, you know, they're all driving to the the, the, the same cause and, you know, the, the end goal is, is the same. Um, but like you said, experience is something that's, you know, also incredibly invaluable, um, you know, in, in a high performance environment. Absolutely. And again, I, I guess you, you know, unfortunately, your rugby career ended prematurely at the age of 28, which is, which is you know incredibly young. And I think you had a number of good years ahead of you. And it was sadly through injury that, again, you had to hang your boots up. And how have you found that transition from being, you know, a high performer on the field to obviously finding a new challenge off the field? Yeah, um, I think, you know, when my career, my career ended, um, I had an idea I, for, for a long, I had a, a pretty horrendous uh, injury early on in my career. Um, I, I've broken, dislocated, broken, dislocated my ankle and, uh, you know, it was displaced. It was facing the opposite direction. It was pretty gruesome injury. And, you know, it certainly frightened me, uh, you know, it frightened me being on the pitch, seeing my foot, <laughs> the angle it was, um, mm. you know, and the main fear was just the feeling that, you know, what I loved, you know, what I was doing as my living, you know, Kurt was, you know, potentially being taken away from me at such a young age. Um, you know, throughout my career, that made me really, really want to make sure that I had something 
you know, I knew what that next stage of my life was going to look like. Um, actually struggled for a long time. I actually struggled to work out what it actually was. It wasn't from the lack of trying, but the big thing that I wanted to do is, you know, try and find something that would, would have a, you know, I, something that I would have a passion for, like I had passion for rugby, you know, which I knew was going to be tough because there's not many things in life I felt that were going to be able to give me the same um, rush, the same um, buzz that playing, um, you know, playing the sport that I uh, I loved um, from uh, from a young young lad. But you know, it, later on in my career, you know, it, it seemed obvious the route that I needed to go down. My passion throughout my career was, you know, strength and conditioning. I feel that, you know, my approach, my my personal approach to uh, strength and conditioning, and my passion in that area was a key factor in terms of some of the success I had on field. I think in, within team sports, you know, you've got that, you know, certainly within rugby, all shapes and sizes, you know, I do feel it's, a, it's, it's the type of sport that, you know, if you, if you do dedicate your time, if you do really want to achieve something badly enough, you can. And I think my work ethic away from the pitch probably is what allowed me to have that success on field. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think I was the most talented individual from a rugby perspective, but, you know, I think that, you know, my, 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 like I said, my work ethic within my physical um, development aspect was a key factor there. So naturally at the end of my career, that was something I really wanted to progress in to um, the field of strength and conditioning. I knew that I didn't want to go straight into um, professional uh, rugby uh, as a strength and conditioning coach off the back of my career. I felt it was very important that I had a period of time away from rugby to firstly have a bit of breathing space. You know, this is something that I'd, rugby was something I'd been involved with from a, a very young age. Um, you know, for the first part of my life, within close to the first 30 years of my life, you know, it'd been a big focus. You know, I wanted to do something a little bit different. I also wanted to um, learn my craft as a strength and conditioning coach, first and foremost, before going back into that environment. So, you know, when I finished playing rugby, I had a five-year period away from the sport. Um, during that time, um, you know, I, again, as I said, learned my craft, went through a number of qualifications, um, I, I also had the desire and hunger. I wanted to run my own business. I wanted to have my own gym. Um, and that was probably because also when I did get back into rugby, I, I knew the ruthlessness of rugby in certain professional sports, you know, very much, you know, you can be there one minute, you can be cut the next, you know, I wanted the next stage of my life to have some stability, you know, and I wanted some self-control from that aspect. Um, and that's what building my own business would provide. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's nearly 10 years since I finished playing rugby, you know, probably after two years of finishing playing rugby opened, uh, I, I started my own gym um, with a couple of other, other individuals. Um, and it's been eight years. So it's been eight years since I've been doing it. It's been a, it's been a hard graft. It's involved some extremely long hours. Um, but also I've, you know, certainly for the last five years, I've done it alongside, um, you know, getting back into professional sports and, you know, it is, it's a demanding job in itself, um, you know, working in the world of sports. So, you know, I've, it has been a bit of a juggling act. It's, it, it's meant for very long hours, um, you know, but I feel prior, pre, pre COVID, you know, I was very close to being, you know, at the start of something special where I wanted to be in my life, um, you know, probably, I'm always, you know, clawing for that next stage. At times I feel it's important to, 
that I try and just slow down a little bit and try and enjoy the moment as well and appreciate, mm. you know, the journey that I've been on. Um, so that's a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Um, so I think we'll come back to your strength and conditioning work with the Cardiff Blues, but you've, you've mentioned the, the business you're building and obviously you know, Ion Fitness in Cardiff. Again, you're creating an amazing culture there as well, a really inclusive community vibe. And I've seen a lot of the work you've done throughout COVID about having you know Zoom meetings and having um, online dinner parties and things. And again, like creating that family connectivity inclusive nature is only going to help you know everyone improve their fitness and you know what, what else are you doing with ion to really sort of engage people and get the local and community active yeah i mean you know certainly during the lockdown period it was very challenging as a, as a business owner um you know i've always wanted you know to develop ion to be far more than just a brick and mortar f- um facility um you know I, like i said i'm very passionate about health and wellness you know whether that's within elite sports or um you know for the general public um you know over the past over the past five years you know we've 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 developed a program within the gym you know started off as just a, a simple nutrition um platform that's evolved now into to, to more of a wellness program um you know so that's something that's been very beneficial during the lockdown period in terms of helping keep our uh, members engaged offering them a service um that provides accountability you know looks at you know it, it takes a holistic approach rather than it just being about exercise you know for, for me you know I, I look at our, it's the same within um, the Cardiff, my, the, my role at Cardiff Blues um, and, and ION, you know, I all, I'm very, I think it's very important to have a framework, a, 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 you know, a direction with things, you know, I, I build my program around four key areas or four key pillars and that's, you know, exercise, you know, that's always a given, nutrition, you know, for me, recovery and, you know, stress management is such a big area these days. Um, you know, and certainly in an area I know you guys um, value just as much. And then also the connections element, you know, the importance of these mm-hmm. relationships and uh, communicational um, uh, opportunities that we have with one another. And, you know, it's something that I, you know, wanted to build on, you know, so it was an opportunity to to run it within the gym, but also progress it now into um, within to the, into the corporate world. So we've also recently um, launched our Ion Corporate Wellness Programme. Um, you know, I see a huge transfer um, from, you know, high performance environments within professional sports to that corporate space. You know, it's, you know, how I feel it's important that employers, you know, look at their uh, employees as, you know, as professional athletes, certainly in terms of, you know, what they're providing for them, you know, educating them, um, you know, getting them to, to, to look after themselves, both physically and mentally, you know, certainly the strain that individuals have been on, you know, during this lockdown, you know, it's thrown people out of routine, out of sync. And it's, you know, it's, it's a platform that I feel has the opportunity to, to really address some fundamental areas for, uh, for, for organizations. But yeah, mm. coming back to, to, to ION, it's certainly something that benefited um, us during, um, during lockdown period. You've, um, you made a, a bunch of great points there, Robin. And um, well, my mind, my mind started racing. So I guess the first thing I'd like to, to just kind of go back over with you is you mentioned like holistic wellness there. Mm. And that, you know, that's like, a, it's, a, it's a very trendy phrase. Um, you know, it's a phrase that I use because I believe it's very, very accurate. 
But I, I also wonder about like, you know, especially someone in, in your position, your industry, if you turn around to a professional rugby player and say holistic wellness, are they, are they like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm eating steak and working out. Like, yeah. do they, does your community, especially from at, on the professional rugby side, do they understand that like you do have to recover just as hard? You do have to have this, this solid community connection um, because, you know, a solid community will actually benefit your sport and it will benefit your performance. Is, is that something that your guys are um, on board with? Yeah, so I think that's, again, that's a fantastic point that you said there because I'll be quite honest, Brian, I think as a player and probably in my early days as a coach, if someone said to me about the holistic approach to training, I, I quite frankly would have seen that as fluffy, you know, in terms of yeah. it's, it's not an area that I'm going to go near. Um, yeah. I think as I've learned more, as I've educated myself more, um, you know, for me, it's probably shaped, you know, and this comes back to, to my pillars, you know, for a long time, strength and conditioning wise, um, you know, my, my framework would have been very much geared around physical development, my physical performance, you know, speed development, strength and power development, um, you know, that element being the focus where for me, I think as I've grown as a, a, as a coach, you know, I also now understand that in professional sports, Certainly within rugby, most teams are doing very much the same sort of thing within the gym, on field, same exercise selection. For me, what are the points of difference? Okay, how am I going to make my players more effective? Well, you know, for me, it's looking after them, looking at their nutrition. We've got a professional nutritionist involved. The, the recovery aspect is absolutely golden. You know, if I can, there's so many external stresses that are thrown at our players, you know, from the game, from the training week, um, the, 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 the stress of being able to perform at their best. You know, for me, this is the area. It is the area that I feel can have the biggest impact on my players' performance now. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm glad you asked that point because what I was speaking about there in terms of our wellness program, I also ran the exact same program with our Cardiff Blue squad during lockdown period and you know for the majority of the squad that are involved with it they have it's been great in terms of and that's the whole benefit of it what i wanted to do is it's not about telling people just what you know they have to do this and they do it parrot fashioned i want to educate them i want them to ask the questions i want them to understand you know for one of the big areas that we uh, you know that we that we looked at from the stress management uh, perspective was i introduced them to the wim hof technique and you know it's uh, it's been something that's gone down a storm in terms of the players starting off with the cold showers they're 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 used to the cold you know the the cold um uh the cold immersion tanks that we have in training but the you know throughout lockdown exposing themselves first thing in the morning you know feeling getting them to understand what's happening physiologically within the body you know they can really start understanding okay yeah i am i'm i am feeling that early morning i'm feeling alert but at the same time i'm having that sense of relaxedness about my day you know it was mm. it was also about giving them you know a focus a focus throughout the day when you know it's the same elite players you know general public this lockdown period has been a time where it's thrown people out of this sink it's routine you know and for me you know mindset is often you know again it's another it's another buzzword that gets thrown out there and for me mindset is what my pillars sit on and that simple mm. mindset for me is just about consistently performing disciplined behaviors. And it's, you know, the simple mm. behaviors, 
you know, one of the one of the areas I always like, you know, referring back to is, um, you know, Sir David Brailsford, you know, his the G, uh, GB cycling, you know, his theory of marginal gains, you know, and, you know, he pins it on the, the, the success is a few simple disciplines practiced every day while, you know, the failure is just, you know, small, a few small errors in judgment each day. And, you know, that is, you know, certainly within elite sport, it's that fine line, it's the fine line between making those small improvements on a daily basis this can amount up over time to, to, to some real success and success on mm-hmm. on field success within your life and yeah it's like I said it's 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 an area that I'm passionate about and certainly you know I think you know coming back to the initial question you said I think you know within rugby players you know you tell them to look at that you know to, to understand focused breathing you know to, to talk about you know meditation or mindfulness practices it's it's something that would easily be scoffed at but it's mm. it's something that i think it's definitely on the uh, on the up you know i think certainly during the uh, the last world cup there was a number of teams that um you know during the game um you know were taking time moments in the huddle just to have some focused breathing pack practices and you know i think that's really sparked some interest certainly within professional sports certainly in team sports about how this can actually provide a certain um you know some some real benefits um to performance mm. and it's great to see that is that's that's so great to hear that because um the you know i've recently had that experience because I've, you know, I've also, you know, I've been, I mean, I'm obviously not quite as qualified and as experienced as you, but I've been involved with, you know, health and performance, you know, most of my life as a hobby, mm-hmm. you know, I don't really do it for money. Um, but recently I've started, you know, I was injured and sick for a long time, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But recently I got back into my, my strength practice and I have started following and working with strong first. I'm not sure if you've heard yeah, of yeah, the, um, yeah, yeah, the yeah. strong first guys. Yeah. So I did a, um, uh, the body weight certification with Strong First uh, okay. about a year ago, and one of the one of the standout moments there. I mean, there were there were a few things that I learned during that course, which has completely revolutionised the way I train. But one thing that really surprised me because I was so like, oh fuck, I don't want to do this. But it was their their principle of waviness, okay, and that's and that's waving the intensity of your workouts. So, you know, the old Globo gym mentality is like pretty much the same intensity five days a week, just doing chest and back and then, you know, quads and glutes or whatever, but keeping that intensity, working hard the whole time. Whereas strong first is like, uh, 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 uh. you have one heavy day a week, then you have a medium day, then you have a light day, then you have a medium day, then you have a light day, then you go back to your, your heavy day. And I was like, oh man, that's going to, oh, my gains are going to drag on. But I was so surprised within a few weeks, because I was giving my body ample time to recover, even though I was still working out, I was doing lighter intensities, my body had more time to recover. The gains came so quickly. I was so surprised. My strength climbed very, very quickly. The hypertrophy climbed very, very quickly. I was blown away. And the amount of work I was actually doing was, was significantly less when I was you know, old school just in the gym there. Yeah. And, you know, that really hit home for me. I was like, huh, recovery is vital. 100%. It's vital. 
So, so you know, the, the, what you're speaking about there is that undulating periodization is often referred to as, and mm. you know, I think there's different, you know, periodization again within the world of strength and conditioning. It's you know, it's 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 just having structure, you know, and I think mm. that's the that's the key. That's the key in so many areas, isn't it? I think is it, you know, it's um, you know, Preto's principle they talk about. I think it's Preto's principle the 80 20 you know and that's something that i always you know bring back to and i think that's you know it's nutrition is a, a prime example mm-hmm. um you know strength development is a principle where it's you know it's 20 percent the 20 percent is what makes up 80 percent of the 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 actual results you know i think the best way of describing it is nutrition isn't it where you know so many people often are looking at whether it's you know intermittent fasting like nutrient timing or what supplements people are taking and that side of things mm. where it comes back to the foundations the foundations are built on you know um, energy expenditure calories calories in calories out the quality of foods people are eating you know in terms of body you know composition you know those two things alone along with that mindset of disciplined behaviors on a daily basis is what's going to bring about the majority of the results you know people have to be Mm. under you know get these foundations right before they're starting to look at you know what style of diet they're on and 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 Mm. and this side of things and i think it's the same within strength conditioning you know i think these days the way social media is you know you know, certainly within the world of sports, often the S&C coaches that are getting praised the most are the ones that are posting up, you know, images or videos of, you know, some really impressive movement, like a single leg banded, um, single arm press, you know, saying that that's sports specific. You know, for me, it's not about going away from the fundamental, the, the big rocks. What are the big rocks? The squat, the deadlift, the bet. You know, these mm-hmm. are things that, you know, are going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. For me, I always look at, you know, developing my players. I see the gym as that's this is being inside the gym is their general physical preparedness on field is their sports specific training, you know, and for me, it's about trying to get a careful balance between, you know, um, that minimal dose effect where, you know, I, I, there's already so much stress being placed on the players, you know, from, as I said, from playing, from rugby training, you know, often, what can often be, you know, me, them come into the gym and piling a load of volume into them is just going to, you know, again, you know, lead to more fatigue and accumulated fatigue. And, you know, that's going to have a detrimental uh, effect on performance. So it's, it's about balancing things. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something that, again, you know, spoken a lot about, you know, with our players, you know, this year, you know, we spoke on the podcast that we did, uh, James, about, um, you know, the importance of sleep and how that's become such a, such an important factor as i said you know it's it's something that i recognize now you know players with you know young families players coming into the gym you know after a poor night's sleep you know is it going to be you know if they're you know if they're already tired of thought they're already in a, a fatigued state you know adding further fatigue is going to be taken away from performance and you know that's mm. where we've got to recognize you know i'm trying to you know one of the big things i've been trying to do is educate the players more on sleep quality behaviors mm. in the hours they do what they do in the hours before they go to bed um mm. you know and that's that's the way you know we're going to improve performance as a, as a team at the card blues absolutely and i really like what you said then about consistent discipline and i've definitely found when you consistently apply any sort of approach or methodology you're going to get results and it's about having that mental strength and focus that every day you're going to do a little something that one percent that moves you forward that little bit 
and over time, obviously, that accumulates to big gains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, you um, mentioned there about yeah, carry on. No, I was just going to say, just on 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 that side, that's exactly what you know in terms of certainly the the, the program, the challenge that we do that we run throughout lockdown in our, our wellness program. You know, we mm-hmm. part of the element is we have uh, we have an app and it's um, simple daily tasks and they get points simply for you know completing certain tasks that are meant to be non time consuming you know but they're done day in day out which is so easy just to overlook um, you know, one of the big feedback um, things I've I had since our podcast, James, was you know, everyone loved your morning routine and you know how uh, how impressive that was and, and disciplined at the same time. But you know that 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 sets you up for uh, for success within you know how you're able to perform within your work life, within your family life. You know, and such a, a key point, isn't it? Mm, absolutely, James. Sorry to interrupt. Just just before you move on, James, I know you got a question loaded there. Um, I just want to go back over another thing that Robin said, and it's something that, you know, we talk about it a lot on, on our other podcasts. We've mentioned it with our other guests that are, you know, professionals in other realms. Um, and everybody uses the word performance. And sometimes I like to stress to our listeners because not all of our listeners are professional rugby players or, or elite athletes. So when, when, I know when you're speaking about performance and I know when we're speaking about performance, we're not only talking about sport. Yeah. So you, you mentioned there like family life that requires performance. You know, it's not, it's, it's not necessarily elite athleticism, but no. waking up, feeling good, feeling energized, you know, handling your kids, handling, handling your day job, handling your chores, um, you know, handling your hobbies, trying to, trying to, you know, enjoy your passions on the side. That's another form of performance. So when we talk about diet and nutrition and, and community and, and exercise and, and rest and recovery, we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, those things improve your family life too. They improve your whatever lifestyle you have. That's also a kind of performance. So that's something I always like to just remind listeners is we're not, this isn't just aimed at professional athletes, you know, no, stay at home moms and, and career, career moms. They, they need, you know, a certain level of performance as well. And I think that's the, 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 you know, it comes back to, isn't it, that it's the foundations, the fundamentals, the big rocks, the big rocks to living a, a healthy lifestyle, it, whether you're a professional athlete or, uh, like you said, a stay-at-home mum or within, mm. you know, working within the corporate space. It's the same things, you know, we've got to look after our, our, you know, exercise. We've got to look after our nutrition, recovery or stress management connections. You know, one of the biggest issues that we have in today's society is just, you know, us as humans aren't built to be sedentary yet. Even the regular gym goers can end up, you know, they, they go to the gym. It's one hour of their day. The rest of the 23 hours of the day can be a very sedentary. And, you know, that's not what we're designed to be as humans. So it's mm-hmm. it's about drawing attention, making people aware of, you know, even if it's through just simple recognition of their daily steps, you know, that's something mm-hmm. that, you know, again, it's a fundamental area. I heard, I heard something funny recently. I, re- I was one of those silly, like clickbait articles. Now they're talking about people who are counting their steps are getting stressed out and, and having panic attacks because they're not hitting their, they're not oh, hitting their wow. 10,000 steps a day. So they're like, oh my God, they're freaking out and running on the spot just before bed to get their 10,000. Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's a common thing. I, I think we're all, I'm not sure, Brian, do you use the aura ring? 
I think I saw that. I do use the yeah, yeah, I was yeah, speaking to yeah. someone the other day about about how they uh, they actually had to stop using it because they just got so stressed out by uh, looking at their data and in a data driven yeah in a data driven world that we live in you know how it's actually what can be perceived as something that's very beneficial mm. can actually have a detrimental effect yeah and some things, well you know go on. I was I was finding that I was getting to be into bed at night and the last thing I was thinking about was oh I can't wait to see my sleep in yeah. the morning yeah and then the first thing I did in the morning was wake up oh get, grab the phone switch it on you know <laughs> with, at that at that time you still had to put the ring on the charger yeah. to sync <laughs> setting up the charger plugging it in waiting for the bluetooth and then going oh fuck only 85 oh. <laughs> you know and day, I, I did the same ruined. I took it off and yeah I took it off and I was like nah forget about it. <laughs> But um, I, re I recently um, f found my own personal stack of hacks for my, my own sleep, like how mm. to get the best possible sleep I can. Um, so I'm back, I'm back onto the track, any, uh, like, just for fun. Any, uh, anything, anything you can share? Because uh, yeah. me... Number one, Netflix. Number Netflix. one, yeah. <laughs> Netflix is from, from 8 to 9 p.m. But yeah, my... Um, you know, my, my absolute must do's for improving your sleep hygiene is um, focusing on that eight hours a night. I yeah. really, I'm so strict on that. Yeah. Although, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a bit of a unique situation because I don't have a family. I don't have a whole bunch of other obligations. So, you know, I'm, I'm in completely control of how I spend my time. Yeah. Um, getting those eight hours a night blue blocking blocking that yeah. artificial light at night in whatever way you can. I use, you know, red light bulbs for my overhead. I use my red light therapy. I use um, blue blocking filters on my computers, my devices. Yeah. I also use blue blocking glasses to, to block any other blue light as I'm functioning. And the, 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 the two more, so I've, I've got roughly a, um, a top five. So that was two um, getting cold. Yeah. You know, I take the cold shower just before bed, no matter what, if I'm already tired, I'm lazy, I'm not in the mood. Yeah. I, I, I just think of my deep sleep. I think, oh man, you want to see that, you know, one hour, 45 minute deep sleep tomorrow morning. I take that cold shower and I also use the chili pad on my bed to keep my bed cool. Nice. And then a big one for me, which has made a massive difference as well, which, you know, is, is kind of, um, not not necessarily a, a trending uh, habit right now, but I'm you know part of what I'm trying to do is make it a trending habit, and that's going to bed hungry, okay. right? Which is yeah. okay, not hungry that you're having pains, but yeah. going to bed on an empty stomach. Let yeah. me say, so I my fasting window is I have my last meal around 4 p.m. Okay. Um, I eat a lot of meat, I eat a lot of fat, a lot of yeah. protein. I have my last meal about 4 p.m. and I go to sleep between 8 and 8:30 p.m. Yeah. and that way, like my, my digestive system is done for the day well before I get into bed. And that means my, my, the sleep processes in my body start straight away. Yeah. They start as soon as I fall asleep. The healing and the repairing and the, you know, the memory consolidation, the skills acquisition uh, and the muscle and body repair work can happen straight away. And it has a full eight hours to get its job done. Because if you have dinner at 7 p.m. and then climb into bed at 9 p.m., that's, that's really only two hours of, of no eating between sleeping, uh, between wake and sleep. So when you get into bed at that 9 p.m., your body is still digesting food, yeah. which means all the healing and repairing is on the back burner. Yeah. So then maybe 11 p.m., 
you start to fall into that deeper sleep where the, where the healing and repairing can come. Uh, and I've noticed a massive difference, say, not only yeah. with, if you, like, with the tracking. How, uh, how many hours a night do you tend to get in uh, your deep and REM stages? So it's changed slightly now. And the reason it's changed is because I've moved down to the beach. I now live on the coast and it's very, very, very hot. Even at mm. night, it's very hot. So I can't keep my body cold. I can't mm. drop my core temperature. Mm. So just before I came here, when I was still living up in the highlands, which um, you know, had much cooler climate, I was getting just under two hours of REM sleep a night oh, wow. and about one hour 30, one hour 45 of deep sleep a night, mm. which you know, I w- I've been tracking with Aura for two or three years now, and I yeah. never had those numbers yeah. until I started blue blocking, getting cold, and sleeping in a fasted yeah. state. Um, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you know, one of the one of the the, the the often recommended things to do prior to bed is the hot bath. Having hot baths that create that temperature rise, that then you have, have that sudden uh, heat dump. You know, which mm. you know lowers your core temperatures. You go into sleep, but it's um, mm. you know I think there's I'm coming across certainly more and more people that you know do have cold showers. James, you 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 mm. said that you do you do the same, don't you? Yeah, definitely. My routine is very similar to Brian's, and the, the, the nights for sure when I have a cold shower before bed mm. um, are, are better nights for me. I'm just I think all of us are into our strength training, and and generally generally you probably do carry a higher body temperature, yeah. you know, throughout the day and into the evening. Um, I definitely need support dropping that temperature. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, you know, it's something, it's an area I massively obviously value the sleep side of things. And it's, it's frustrating that it's still something that I, I battle with. Um, you know, I'm not, not particularly a consistent sleeper, despite mm. being as, um, you know, probably aware of the, the, you know, and, and, and implement the, the habits before and the hours before bed. Um, you know, I think one of the big factors has been that, 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 that stress and that anxiety factor, certainly mm-hmm. with the business during this lockdown period. And, you know, mind is constantly on overdrive, mm-hmm. you know, to a, you know, a couple of things I recently started using is the, uh, is the car map. And I, I quite like that approach, you know, in terms of just trying to relax yourself before uh, bed. But uh, one of the other areas, like certainly, you know, off the, the off the back of the Wim Hof method, which again, you know, certainly the breathing, the focused breathing aspect, you know, the the impacts I felt that had on me, and you know, I was religious in terms of day in day out during lockdown. You know, I was doing it something that I've, I've tried to continue with, and it's probably a, a topic that I've really it's really fascinated me in terms of just understanding, you know, the the impact breathing has on us as individuals. So I've actually just read this book I pulled up here is the 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 um if you James Nash to breathe i don't know whether you've come across it so he's this it's breathe uh, the new science of a lost art so james nasty's a journalist and um he uh, started looking at basically the how free divers you know what their background you know how they were going about achieving some of the results they had and it led on to you know what is becoming more of again spoken about topic is the old is nasal breathing and the importance of nasal mm. breathing and you know again it's it's, it's such a cracking book because an area that i really like it talks about just evolution you know and how we as humans have you know and how our heads and our faces have evolved over time and you know it it it, it go it talks it uses the phrase um dis-evolution where as as humans 
you know, we've, as our brains have actually enlarged and we've obviously become a lot more cognitive and, you know, and, and the, the, you know that, that side of things has been a massive plus how it's actually been also at a detriment to our, our respiratory um, tracts. And, you know, you only have to look at, you know, the, the you know, certainly, um, you know, homo sapiens and, you know, the, you know the, our ancestors, how, how they had much more of an elongated um, face and, you know, how that was deemed to be and is deemed to be the, the, the effective respiratory tract to have like a longer, a longer snout, a longer palate, a longer, longer nose. And, you know, the comparison, I, th I think the easiest way of, you know, talking about it is, you know, often what do we see, you know, in the dog breeds these days, you know, you look at your pugs, your bulldogs with their squashed faces, you know, and the impact that has on their breathing, um, their respiratory system, you know, us as humans, I'm not saying that that's, but that's also how we have actually evolved. We've become, had, you know, a, a more of a flattened face, a smaller snout and, you know, how, you know, the, the, how it's brought us also brought about smaller mouths, more overcrowding mm. of teeth, you know, reducing, mm. you know, we, how we've actually become a lot more mouth breathing, you know, and our mouths are actually designed for the, our digestive system. You know, our nose is our respiratory system. And, you know, it's, it's just the fact that humans are becoming a lot more dependent on their mouth breathing, you know, and it's, you know, I find it it's a fascinating area about, you know, how our, our, uh, our nasal system is, you know, should be the number one way that we breathe you know in terms of it's it's built for you know to, to filter the air that goes into the body it it produces it helps reduce nitric oxide oxide which has a big uh, effect on the uptake of oxygen um, within the body and you know also it's our front line of defense in terms of you know preventing pathogens entering the body inside and it's, it's an area that absolutely fascinates me and it's something that i want to continually continue to learn on um unfortunately for myself being a, a an ex-rugby player my nose was uh, broken on a number of occasions and uh, it's pretty uh, pretty mangled but you know I've actually you know I've actually started trying the uh, the uh, night um uh, nasal breathing and taping up my mouth just to see what the impact it has and I've also started exercising low level aerobic exercise first thing in the morning with it and mm -hmm. it's amazing it's amazing the difference because mm -hmm. I know that during the night I must be a lot more of a mouth breather because when I wake up in the morning you know I feel very blocked up in my sinuses mm -hmm. and it's the fact like the the you know the blood vessels the you know the, the nasal airways they actually close during the night if they're not used they're closing mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know how the difference when I wear the tape, how it's 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 a lot. I feel so much more clear amongst mm -hmm. my in my sinuses, and you know, again, it's it can have a big impact on performance as well because you're mm -hmm. when you breathe through your nose, you're you're actually you've, it's easier to uptake oxygen within your body. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's easier for your body to uptake because it's a lot more filtered. It's easier for your lungs mm -hmm. to take on board your blood and um, transportation to your muscles. So it's but it's of obviously we're not the way we live you know, we, we, you know, a lot of the time we're actually just mouth breathers and it's trying to change mm. that and go back to yeah. how we're supposed to be designed to live our lives and how, how to um, be as effective as possible. It's, it's an area that's, uh, yeah, it's, I, I find it really interesting. So, um, God, I went off on a tangent there, didn't I? It's really, it's so, it's so interesting because I, I was going to say like, well, here's a tip for you. Start, start mouth taping at yeah. night if you want to improve your sleep, you know, yeah. because... What happens is that, you know, what I've, what I've read and what I'm led to believe is that obviously once you hit that certain level of sleep, all your muscles relax. Mm. So you end up going, 
yeah. you know, breathing through your mouth. And, and I'm, I mouth tape every night. And it's oh, you actually, do, Jim? Oh, okay. It's actually, be, it's actually become like a, almost like a security blanket. Yeah. As soon as I put that tape on my mouth, my jaw can relax, but mm. my mouth doesn't fall open. And it's, it's actually, it, it calms me. I'm finding that it really calms me because my brain is now associating the, the, the tape mouth as part of the sleep hygiene. So my yeah. brain is like, you know, already getting ready to kick into action. And another thing you mentioned there, which, you know, obviously you hit on a lot of great points there about the importance of nasal breathing for the, the nitrous, nit nitrous oxide production and the oxygen uptake. But also, that's also a signal to your nervous system that you're safe. There is no stressful environment around. So, you know, if you think about it, if you're panicked, you're going, <laughs> and your body just thinks, your brain thinks, oh my God, this is the end of the world. And then, you know, your, your, your higher level thinking starts to shut down because you revert back to the lizard brain. You go back to fight or flight. You're just trying to jump mm. over fences or, or run away from a tiger. And I think that can be very beneficial when you're doing high intensity training yeah. because your body's working. But if you can somehow maintain good nasal breathing, even though it can be tough at the higher intensities, you're, you're still telling your body, everything's okay. Everything's safe. You don't have to shut down any, I mean, it's probably beneficial in, in certain areas to shut down uh, unneeded uh, functioning of the body with, with high intensity training. But I'd imagine there's also a benefit to reducing the fight or flight response during, you know, at least moderate training, I'd imagine. 100%. Yeah, That's definitely. Sorry, James. Um, another great book I think you'd enjoy, Robin, is Patrick McEwan's uh, The Oxygen Advantage. Yeah, yeah You're nodding your head, yeah, so yeah. I guess you've read it. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I've read bits of it. I haven't, I haven't read it all because I came across actually with the James Nestor one. I listened to a Joe Rogan podcast with him. And off the back of that, mm. it was I was a bit impatient. I was like, right, I want I need that book. I want to read it. So I actually hopped off it. But no, I, I know Patrick McGowan is uh, is certainly someone that's um, yeah, is something I need to uh, make sure I finish off. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I've well, there's a few things I've implemented of his, but one in particular is nasal breathing while doing low level TV. Mm. And so in the mornings, when I'm trying to get in that fat burning zone and I try and do it two or three times a week if my schedule permits, but getting out for a 20 minutes, maybe a 30 minute low level jog, yeah. nose breathing, try and keep your heart rate below about 140 and you're in that fat burning zone. Mm. And it's incredibly hard, yeah. but it's amazing the progress you see over time. Initially, you'd be doing seven minute kilometers and struggling to keep that pace yeah. because you, your heart rate keeps going up and got to a point where I was doing almost five minute, five minute, 30 kilometers, kilometers, which is, you know, a fair, a fair pace, oh, but nose breathing really efficient. But again, with that progress and again, your body just adapts and it's just so much more efficient at using that oxygen you're delivering. And he also talks about doing breath holds. So again, when, I'm, when I used to work in the city, I'd be walking around the city and I'd be holding my breath. And I'd, do, I'd count how many steps I could go holding my breath. And then I'd try and just calmly recover my breath, just breathing through my nose. And again, I built up to about, you know, 40, 50 steps, you know, almost a minute while walking. And again, that really helps your body's utilization of oxygen and control of it. And again, it's sort of, you know, managing that stress as well. I, but again, some really good practical tools that in that book. amazing. I um when I started, like I said, I've only been doing it the last couple of months, trying the um the the early morning, like I said, low low aerobic activity, you know, slow jog, doing mm. the um nasal breathing, and it was something I you know, oh, I, I really struggled with. But what I noticed straight mm. away was just at the end, just in terms of the the my sinuses, 
how how much more efficient I felt off the back of just mm. doing that nasal breathing and you know how it actually set my day up really well nicely you know feeling energized you know feeling calm at the same time you know the mm. it's the you know and this is where you know focus the, the breathing aspect such a simple it's a free you know we haven't got to pay money for it but it's such an undervalued area it's, it's great to see that mm. you know there's more and more um you know, articles, more and more talk around the subject these days, because it's certainly something, you know, I like to practice what I preach, you know, and listening to, you know, I, I you know, I've really enjoyed listening to your, you, you guys podcast, you know, on, on things. And, you know, I think this is, it's a, it's an area that's going to only grow more and more. And, you know, again, it's been able to tap into that autonomic nervous system, your parasympathetic nervous system, you know, you know, nasal breathing certainly allows us to do that. And, you know, in today's society, yeah. that's what it is about. It's how do we put ourselves into more of a relaxed state in such a, mm -hmm. a stressful world that we live in? That's all great stuff. Absolutely. And, you know, we've touched on a lot there about data as well. You talked about monitoring sleep, steps, activity, all these data points through the app as well, you know, for your, for your players. Um, you know, it's quite important to take your head above the data sometimes as well. So, so how are players responding to seeing the data and how do you ensure people aren't getting bogged down in it and that you don't wake up and see you at a 70 score on your aura ring so you have a bad day automatically? Yeah. You know, how, how are you keeping players motivated and kind of like, you know, focusing on the bigger picture sometimes? I think that's, a, again, that's a very good point. You know, certainly within professional sports, you know, in the way sports science is, data collection is... You know, it's a big area. It's a, you know, it's a big area. It's an important area. You know, I, I look back again through my my experience and how I've evolved as a coach. You know, over the years, I remember one of my first seasons in professional sport as an assistant strength and conditioning coach, um, coming into to an environment where the 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 head um, strength and conditioning coach that was newly appointed, um, you know, was a very data driven um, uh, coach. Um, and how I was, wow, I was taken back. I, I was really, you know, like, you know, I, I felt a little bit out of my depth in terms of, you know, what his knowledge base was or, you know, what I thought was, you know, collecting all this information. This is incredible, blah, blah, blah. But it's amazing how over time, you know, I don't speak badly of it, but it's, it's also the importance of recognising, you know, the, what are the important what's the important numbers what are the numbers the actual that actual matter you know as opposed to you know just collecting numbers for the sake of collecting numbers and i think certainly in the world of professional sports often i think strength and conditioning coaches can 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 get too wrapped up in you know number crunching as opposed to you know the actual art of just coaching or you know what you know how they're you know how they're uh, you know how they're, they're they're interacting with their coaches one of the one of the big areas that we look at and it's been so important you know coming back into you know off the back of lockdown is you know the use of gps so you know that's something that we use day in day out again it's an area that can get over analyzed um but it's certainly you know certainly within training uh, and this is actually something i put out you know to our gym members this week with gyms reopening is just recognizing the importance of 
understanding training loads and one of the biggest causes of injury whether it's in within professional sports or um you know certainly soft tissue wise or, or general pop trainers is that sudden spike in training loads you know where you know people are back into the gym you know with hand be near a barbell or hand you know and, and suddenly go from doing nothing very little to wanting to train every day you know every day back to back maybe even twice a day and how that big spike in training load that's where you're going to break down you know that again Again, it comes back to those stresses mm-hmm. you know some mm-hmm. at some point if that stress becomes too much you know there's a fine line between you know stress being benefit and acute stress you know and uh, you know uh, and um, you know, stress over long term so it's an area again post lockdown we've managed very carefully just to make sure that we you know we've done things very gradually to ease players back into uh, into training um, you know it's been very beneficial um, you know and it's uh, we're actually starting games next week now so it's going to be certainly interesting to see where players are at. Awesome. I think you've got quite an intense schedule coming up, obviously, with the backlog of games. Mm. There's going to be a really short you know, off-season, straight mm. into pre-season, straight into mm. next season. And then with the Lions Tour next year as well, I think players, especially at the you know, the top of the elite game, have got a re- you know, really intense period coming up. Mm. Have you thought about your recovery protocols to make sure players are as resilient and, you know, injury prevented yeah as much as possible i think so yeah that's it i think there's been big pros you know the um, big positives off the back of lockdown you know it's been a very strange period players have had you know four or five months of no playing you know so it's incredible it's great to see you know certainly those players that are regular week in week out coming back in super fresh super energized you know all those niggles that they have you know, from season to season have cleared up, you know, they've been able to get a good training base mm-hmm. under their belts. So, you know, coming into this period, it's uh, it's been good to see, you know, going forward, you know, what's that been the, the toughest part for us is, you know, bringing the contact element to training back in, you know, getting players used to being able to um, take on board those, um, those, those, those physical contacts um, and going forward as we move into, uh, um, in, into the season again, you know, the recovery factor for us is, is key. Um, you know, big things that, you know, it's, it's for me, again, it comes down to the big rocks, you know, in terms of from a re- recovery perspective, you know, I've placed, you know, significant, um, um, uh, what would be the word, you know, a focus, you know, on the basics, you know, your sleep, your nutrition, you know, those two things alone are the biggest areas. You know, we're fortunate enough now we've probably got, you know, a good half of the squad using the aura rings, you know, I can manage, I can see, you know, how they're doing, you know, from a, from a, and that's why I like the, I love the aura ring because it's, it's a recovery uh, tool. You know, I think often, you know, when looking at recovery, you can often look at one or, you know, for example, heart rate variability, you know, you look at heart rate variability in an individual and that may change, you know, but it doesn't give you a clear example. What I like being able to see is, is there a change in, you know, sleep quality? Does that coincide with the same, uh, you know, an increase in um, rest in heart rate? You know, are we seeing a reduction in heart rate variability? Because those things together, that's where they start piecing up. Okay. This player's in a fatigued state need to manage, you know, as opposed to just being a standalone um, you know, metric so you know the, for me a focus around the sleep and nutrition is a big part um, as well as hydration you know the other the other areas that we often have what I deem to be less of a, a importance but still you know good practices good 
disciplined practices for professional athletes to have is you know the the, the manual therapy so sports massage um you know we use we've got you know we've got a, a cold immersion tank um that's uh, that's uh, excellent for reducing that acute um, the, that acute inflammation so you know we had a, a conversation about it certainly um uh, on the podcast but you know and again it's an area that i've been fascinated over the, the past couple of seasons is is also the contrast to that the the, the, the benefits of heat training you know heat acclimation um you know the use of saunas you know certainly in pre-season that's where i really encourage you know players to use you know certainly after a big lifting session you know using the hot bath we can get that hot bath you know over 40 degrees which is great you know the sauna the use of the saunas post-training as well um you know and, and and that's something that uh you know can have a real benefit you know so it's almost a case of that periodizing the um the the, the recovery tools that we use as well um you know when we move into season where pre-season is very much about you know we want Want the players to 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 adapt to the stresses that are placed on them where in season you know during that training week we're trying to reduce as much stress as possible so mm-hmm. you know that's where we really place a lot of value on mm-hmm. you know the, the 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 use of cold baths as well that's amazing i mean so you've mentioned some really strong recovery protocols there um all those strategies you've mentioned is that something that you've asked players as an individual to to implement or is the club supporting you in doing this and facilitating you know, these recovery protocols to be on site for the players. So we, we've actually had a bit of, you know, some complications with the actual access to our um, last season, the, uh, the, the Cardiff Blues invested heavily into a, a big um, water tank you know, fits you know, probably 10 players that has the ability to have extreme. So, you know, cold temperatures, but also, you know, very hot temperatures as well. And being able to fluctuate between those was so, um, so uh, beneficial. Mm-hmm. We've actually had to train, change our training base currently because the, um, the hospital at the Millennium Stadium or the Principality Stadium um, is on point. The Arms Park's been used as a support, um, uh, support mm-hmm. hospital for there. So we haven't had the access to it, unfortunately, but that's what we usually have and that's on site the blues have invested into it which is great to see um for me probably you know my my view on it i don't stand over players i don't say right you're in for this period of time you're in for that we provide the facility my biggest thing has been getting the players educating the players and getting the players to understand the benefits that this can have on their performance on their careers and for me that's about what we do you know we're not about hand holding you know we're dealing with grown up um, professional athletes you know if they choose not to do it then that's that's that, that that's them but on the whole we've got an excellent squad of players that have, have buy into what, what 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 we're doing from a performance perspective that's great and i mean at the end of the day it's like you educate them you you strongly suggest that they do certain things it's it actually ends up with them benefiting them it doesn't benefit you it's so that they can play longer they can play harder they can recover better 100%. um Something I wanted to ask you, there's, I read this, I mean, I read this on a blog and this, it was a blog by a guy called Mark Sisson, who is the author of the primal blueprint. He's a, you know, he's well into his sixties now, but he's an absolute specimen of a human. He's been into the, um, he's been into like the primal lifestyle, the ancestral stuff, all the stuff we're talking about. And he's got an incredible blog called Mark's Daily Apple. I'm not sure, yeah. are you aware of yeah, Mark? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got his book. <laughs> it makes me sound like I'm actually a, book, a bookworm. I'm not. But I'm not. It's, I think we share common, uh, common yeah. interests for sure. They're, they're all related. And, and he's got a blog where I read, 
um, I forget what the title of the blog was, but basically what he was saying was, um, it's not always, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, it's not always recommended to um, change the state of your body too quickly. So the, the example that he draws is like, if you're working out and you do a very, very hardcore session, you're, you're stimulating certain hormonal responses. You know, you're, you're stimulating the, the adrenaline, the testosterone, the cortisol, um, and the growth hormone. But then if immediately after that, you go and down a massive protein shake with a good hit of carbs and protein, you're, you're switching off that, that natural and that inflammatory process of the muscle building, and you're then turning on the digestion. And he says that's not good all the time because you're just stopping the one process for the sake of the other process. And he says similar with cold therapy. He says if you do a, a hardcore workout session, don't jump into the cold shower straight away because you're turning off all that, those hormonal benefits that you've just turned on with the workout and then switching on the, the other hormones to deal with the cold. Yeah. Is that something you know about? Yeah, it's, that's, that's, again, we, we actually spoke a little bit about this on a podcast with James. It's something that you know, I, this is, I encourage very much during pre-season for our players to reduce the actual recovery protocols um, after sessions because for me, there's potential that, um, like you said, heavy lifting session, you know, going straight away into a cold bath has the potential to blunt the adaptation process yeah. and you know granted we're talking probably you know these are, are smaller areas um but you know and the impact it probably has is probably not huge but it's enough mm -hmm. to 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 really i mean it makes sense you know i think often inflammation within the body can be deemed a bad, a bad thing but the reality mm -hmm. is acute stress at times and acute inflammation mm -hmm. can have positive effects um mm -hmm. you know and certainly from a training perspective it's it's very important to 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 um expose yourself to these you know, acute stresses produce that information, you know, and as you said, it's allow, you know, in pre-season, I want the body to adapt naturally to the stimulus we're providing. Um, when we go into season, we don't have that luxury. We want to be um, on our top of our yeah. game on the Saturday. That's where we need to, to, to recover as quickly as possible post, mm -hmm. post workout. So it's a different approach in season, out to season. Mm -hmm. I really like the point you actually made, James, during when we, we discussed it uh, on the podcast where, you know, often you know cold therapy can be seen as something you do you know certainly in the world of sports is something you've done you do straight after training you know to recover where i think there is a place certainly in prison still to to expose yourself first thing in the morning you know having that you know i think there's mm -hmm. other you know you know there are certainly other physiological benefits to 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 cold um, cold exposures um, you know, certainly that starting the day off, that side of things is, you know, and, you know, again, from an immunity fact, uh, perspective as well, I think there's big benefits to it. So, you know, I think it's, it's picking um, the when, um, when you implement these, um, yeah. these methods into your, to, into your routines. Cool. Absolutely. And I think with cold therapy as well, doing it first thing in the day, for me, not only is it immunity boosting, which obviously in the current environment is, is important, um, it's winning that first challenge of the day. If I can, if I can eat that frog, if I can overcome that first challenge and push myself to do something I don't particularly like, the rest of the day is a breeze. And I'm, and for me, it's it's all about mental health, mental focus, and also that's that boost of energy. It's uh, it's brilliant and something so easy. I mean, everyone has access to a cold shower. Yeah. And um, again, you know, we're all 
you know, I call myself an athlete. I'm not an athlete to your level, Robin, by any stretch. But not now. you know, we're all. <laughs> oh, <I'm not. laughs> we're all want to be athletes, yeah, and exactly. and this can be applicable to anyone, though. I mean, anyone yeah. who's in a doing a desk job or at home, and you know, everyone can have massive benefit from it. I I'm massively that and that's something that's a great point you mentioned james i just love you know i think it's so valuable just getting up in the morning and just doing something uncomfortable one of the first things you do in the day is doing something uncomfortable and you know exposing yourself to a, a cold shower has its benefits you know some exercise you know low level aerobic exercise or you know yeah. high intensity exercise even though you're in a you know already a, you know your causes and levels or so i just like that mental approach to starting your day doing something that's uncomfortable because mm. i think that's as humans that's how we how we um how we can manage stress how we can deal with stressful events in our lives and you know i think it's uh, it's, a, it's a great approach to have so many people live in their comfort zones mm. and you know i think it's so important to get comfortable with being uncomfortable mm. just because you know whatever life throws at you you're going to be used to being outside that zone where you're mm. just, you know, where you're just, you know, you're just thrown off, you know, thrown off course of action. And mm. again, being able to adapt quickly and being prepared for it, it's a, it's an important part of life. Yeah. I, I think, mean, um, I think a big thing is that like, like you hit the nail on the head there, James, where, you know, like being comfortable is almost like a, it's like a status symbol. You know, it's like, Oh my God, I've made it. I've got a warm house. I've got a big TV. I've got a fancy car. You know, I mean, maybe that they're not necessarily working out, but they're just enjoying the fruits of their labors and the material possessions and just getting soft and easy and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if you get too comfortable, then you just start to get weak because, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. So if you're spending all your evenings on the couch, enjoying your giant TV and your Amazon TV and your, your Netflix, your body just starts to, blah, it starts to break down. Yeah. And then you wait, and then you stand up and there's all the aches and the pains and you go, oh, Jesus, I'm getting old. Oh, you know, then, you, then you're on the medications and the painkillers and it's because it's yes. you're comfortable, you know? Yeah, 100%. And, you know, really, you know, that, I think that's really undervalued is this idea of getting uncomfortable. And I think for me, what it does as well, in particular with the cold showers and, and the fasting, is it's, it's helped switch off my fight or flight response to a degree because you know when something goes wrong like taking a cold shower which is so uncomfortable my mind doesn't go oh my fucking god oh god ah there's a panic attack and i can't make the right decision and i can't you know and i like to think that that will benefit me when if i'm you know ever in some kind of a real emergency situation my monkey brain doesn't go crazy and i can't make you know suitable decisions for the for the situation I, i'd like to think that I'd, I'd hopefully be a bit more calm and be like Okay, you know, like embrace the breathing that I've been practicing in the cold showers. And, I, and yeah. I think, you know, like like we've mentioned today on this podcast, and we always bring it up because it's so important, this kind of, this these concepts are starting to spread. They're spreading in the professional sports. They're spreading in the corporates. You know, we're seeing these these burnt out high performers starting to go, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to my breathing class tonight mm. because, yeah. you know, it's the only thing that keeps me from being an alcoholic. Or I, you know, dependent on painkillers. Yeah, you know, I think a point you made there, Brian. Just you know, it's, it's an area I really, you know, I, I love the you know when you talk about the cold showers and you know how you know the the benefits are on the immune system. And I think it sums it up 
you know the immune system sums it up beautifully you know with what you just said there where you know that whole benefit of exposing yourself to the cold showers having that acute stress you know how you know when we get ill you know often if you know if you're not very you know if you're if you're if you are very sedentary you don't do anything that's uncomfortable you're not doing your your immune system can be quite erratic can't you in terms of you know you get your body gets exposed to a pathogen you know your body's defense is what suddenly overreacts that's where you come down with a lot of these symptoms where if you have a more of a robust immune system if you're exposed to cold showers how your body sees this as another stress this pathogen is entering your body okay you know how to how your body needs to 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 adapt it doesn't need to be as volatile it can drip feed it controls it and your Mm. symptoms then are a lot less than they would be if you're in you know you're 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 in a different state so it's it's um you know again it's your body is naturally it's designed isn't it to put you into a sympathetic position homeostasis your parasympathetic kicks in you come back to a level and it's about trying to stay in that balanced state as 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 much as possible well i've really enjoyed talking to you robin and i've i've covered everything i think i wanted to brian is there anything you wanted to to chip in um no i think we 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 hit so many golden points there and um i think that was fantastic uh though we do have one kind of little segment left um where we kind of we fire some uh, some quick fire questions oh, wow. at you, Robin. This is going to be intense. Get your nasal going. Um, it's nothing serious. It's nothing crazy. It's just first thing that comes to the top of your head. You can just let it rip. Um, we'll probably, if it's appropriate. You know, go, no, even if it's inappropriate, let it rip. <laughs> Red light rising is also about uh, authenticity. So Love don't it. worry about that. Um, so the first question for you, what uh, is your favorite book? My favorite book, um, The Alchemist. That's had the most impact on the The Alchemist. Alchemist. That was a book I read years ago, and it's always said one of my best friends recommended it to me. Um, Book I actually want to revisit at some point. But yeah, I've just reread it in the last few months. It's yeah, it's 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 really really great book. It's The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho, of course. Um, Favorite bit of tech. uh, My ordering. Probably one of the best purchases I've had in the past couple of years, I think. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and if you could give yourself um, a little golden nugget of advice 10 years ago, what do you think that would have been? What you know now that you wish you'd known 10 years ago? Oh, I think that's quite an easy one for me. Uh, control the controllables. It's, it's, it's something that, you know, certainly through life experiences they've had, certainly within the last 10 years, the ups and downs that life brings, it's, it's probably, and I still have to remind myself, I still haven't got it right, but it's just appreciating that, you know, usually more often than not things work out in the end, but uh, you know, Mm -hmm. if you can just focus on what you can control and not let the Mm -hmm. other things around you stress you out, then you're on a, on a good path. That's, that's a very stoic answer, which leads beautifully (laughs) into into our last segment. Um, well, there's actually, there's, there's two more questions. Well, one more question for you. And that is, what is your favorite hack? You know, is it something perhaps mm-hmm. around sleep hygiene or your, you know, your cold recovery? Is there any probably, secret weapon? Do you know what? Probably the, the real thing that started and James, we always laugh about the biohacking term, but probably the, 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 the one that really got me really paying more and more interest to it was 
couple of years ago was the, the sauna side of things. And I remember the impact it having on my, um, my aerobic, on my cardiovascular system. I remember having a heart rate monitor on it and just looking at when I did exercise and moving on then into the sauna, how, of course, stress environment is maintaining that um, higher threshold and um, my, how my heart rate remained elevated for a good period of time and how it provided that cardiovascular effect. And then also just learning more about the benefits of sauna use, um, you know, from a growth, growth hormone perspective. And that's probably the, the hack that I found um, that's probably really lent me to look in more other areas. So uh, yeah, probably that. Heat that's awesome. That's Brilliant. a great answer. I know James has just invested in a phenomenal sauna and mm. I'm very, very jealous. I'm looking forward to, to visiting him as well. To, I, rather uh, than maybe. saying I, I just drop in because the, the, probably the reason I got into, I just remembered then it was actually prior to the, 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 the rugby world cup and um, Wales, uh, Ryan James, the sports scientist in, uh, in, in Wales um, was actually doing a lot on heat acclimation and he was the one that actually, you know, uh, got me into to really looking at the benefits of it. So uh, yeah, I, uh, I just wanted to give him a, a mention for that. Yeah. Awesome. beautiful and that brings us to our absolute last segment um and i'm by the sounds of it you are already familiar with stoic philosophy do you know this uh, he's got this book as well i bet he's about to pull it out from under the table there it is if we've all got the bloody book then there's no point <laughs> <you. laughs> yes Stoic philosophy, I know you guys are well aware, but Stoic philosophy is something I've been really interested in, you know, only for a couple of years now. It's something that's really, really helped me. And it's something, you know, it's one of the big foundations of Stoic philosophy is controlling the controllables, just like you said, Robin. And um, so what we like to do is we just like to, I mean, I'm going to read from today's page. Uh, we won't, you know, obviously this podcast will, will come out uh, a couple of weeks after we actually do this recording. But uh, if it's okay with you guys, I'm going to read today's Daily Stoic. It's, a, you know, it's from the book, The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday and Stephen Hanselman. It's basically a page a day. It's all got the date on. So you just turn to the date and you read your little Stoic paragraph for the day. Um, and it always brings a little bit of food for thought. So I'll go ahead and read today's post. Make the words your own. Many words have been spoken by Plato, Zeno, Chrysippus, Poseidonus, and by a whole host of equally excellent Stoics. I tell, I'll tell you how people can prove their words to be their own by putting into practice what they've been preaching. And that was by Seneca. One of the criticisms of Stoicism by modern translators and teachers is the amount of repetition. Marcus Aurelius, for example, has been dismissed by academics as not being original because his writing resembles that of other earlier Stoics. This criticism misses the point. Even before Marcus's time, Seneca was well aware that there was a lot of borrowing and overlap among the philosophers. That's because real philosophers weren't concerned with authorship, only what worked. More important, they believed that what was said mattered less than what was done. And this is as true now as it was then. You're welcome to take all the words of the great philosophers and use them to your own liking. They're dead. They don't mind. 
feel free to tweak and edit and improve as you like. Adapt them to the real conditions of the real world. The way to prove that you truly understand what you speak and write, that you truly are original, is to put them into practice. Speak them with your actions more than anything else. So, I mean, Beautiful. that's to me that you know you sum that that could have been summed up in one sentence. <laughs> practice what practice what you preach. Yeah. You know, um, we've all been talking about it today. You know, if you're preaching the benefits of cold showers, are you are you taking cold showers? Are you doing your cold showers every day? You know, are you? I understand importance, isn't it? The the not reinventing the wheel. That's not what it's about. You know, it's learning from people. That's that's probably for me. That's the best way I learn as a strength and conditioning coach. I much rather than reading textbooks. I much prefer to learn from people that are out there doing it, have done it, mm. you know, and more often than not, your magical ideas, they've been done before. It's not about reinventing the wheel. It's, it's having a focus on the fact, the fundamentals, the basics, and just, yeah, that's uh, so, yeah, great, uh, great passage there, bro. Awesome. Golden. Um, well, uh, I'm not sure if James has prepared a little sign off for me. <laughs> for us but i have uh, i have just jumped a, jumped the wagon there sorry boys um robin if you would like to just let our listeners know where they can find you if you've got a social media you'd like them to check out i know you've got a gym uh, if you've got any other avenues you'd like people to explore about yourself share them now um yeah i guess my handle on uh, as they say on uh, instagram is uh, rob underscore s underscore taylor um ion uh, Cardiff is uh, is our um, is my strength conditioning facility here in Cardiff, my gym. Um, yeah, check our pages. Uh, always good to connect with people. So uh, pretty open character. Um, so yeah, awesome, fantastic, Robin. It's been a pleasure having you on, and thanks for your time. No, appreciate you guys. Great to speak to you both.